Welcome to the Movie Planet Podcast, everybody. This week, we are continuing our look at the Die Hard franchise with Die Hard 2. With Joe. On airport, huh? Listen, uh, you're not pissing in somebody's pool, are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fresh out of glory. And JC. This is Chief Lorenzo. I want every officer recalled and assembled in body armor and full weaponry in the motor pool in five minutes. It's time to kick ass. This week, we're talking the second movie in the John McClane series, Die Hard. Die Hard 2, starring Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, William Atherton, Will, Reginald Vell Johnson, Franco Nero, William Sadler, John Amos, Dennis Franz, Art Evans, and Fred Thompson, the late, great Fred Thompson. Yeah. Uh, directed by Rennie Harlan, so John McTiernan did not return for this one. And it is evident. Yes. A little bit of trivia before we get started on this. Uh, it opened July 4th again. Ooh, cool. 1990. Made, Christmas in July again. Made for $70 million and brought in $240 million worldwide. That many people went to see this movie? The $42 million more this time, because the first one was made for much less to make this movie, and they brought in $100 million more than the other movie. They tripled their investment God. based on word of mouth. Hey, you Must see be. Die Hard the first one, you're like, I got to see the second one when it comes out. And, well, that's what happened. Yeah. This has the highest body count of any Die Hard movie. I could see that. A lot of people die. Plus the one plane, if you include that one plane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Black and Decker paid to have its cordless drill featured in a scene with Bruce Willis. When the scene was cut, the company sued 20th Century Fox in the first ever product placement lawsuit for a film. The $150,000 claim was settled out of court. What? <laughs> In the original Die Hard, John McClane... I feel McClane, like I have a new face, Paul, of the week. <laughs> in the original Die Hard, John McClane only had a few scripted one-liners. Bruce Willis ad-libbed so many one-liners and audiences liked them so much that in this sequel and the next one, more gags were added, and Willis was told that he could ad-lib as much more as he could see fit. And that is really evident, because some of it does not work. No. It also explains the dialogue thing. You'll appreciate this, though. The reason why John McTiernan didn't come back to return this film, to direct this film, is because he had a prior commitment directing a little film called The Hunt for Red October. <gasps> oh, better choice. That was a better choice. <laughs> In the Even though, who doesn't want a Scotsman to play Russian? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that someday. <laughs> someday we'll get yeah. to that. In the making of featurette for Die Hard with a Vengeance in 1995, Reginald Vell Johnson said that after his appearance in the first two Die Hard films, he would be frequently teased and joked at by friends and people on the street for his character's obsession with Twinkies, with some people even going so far as to buy Twinkies and throw them into his car while he was inside and saying things like, oh, we knew you wanted some of those. <laughs> Twinkies should have paid him back. <laughs> Could you imagine screw, being, screw the actual Twinkies. Just pay me money for your, all of the people that are buying products because of me. You're Carl Winslow from Family Matters, and people are just throwing Twinkies in your car. <laughs> I do feel for the guy. Uh, Die Hard 2 was the first film to use digitally composited live-action footage with a traditional matte painting that had been photographed and scanned into a computer. So that's why the airplanes look so shitty. It was used for the paint. last scene, which took place on a runway. Oh, it was? Yep. 
Because when they did the scene of where the escort planes leave uh, Esperanza's oh, plane, yeah, yeah. that looked bad. Yeah. It, it just looked bad. And yep. both of our favorite character, Dick Thornburg, <sighs> you'll appreciate this fact. Thornburg occasionally talks into the wrong end of the Sky Phone on the toilet. I, I actually <laughs> had that. I had that in my notes. <laughs> I did. I'm like, does this fucker realize he's speaking into the earpiece? <laughs> I actually had that in my notes. And Thornburg, the despicable journalist, mispronounces the most famous award in his profession. The Pulitzer is pronounced Pulitzer, not, not Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe the character really is that clueless. <laughs> It actually makes me hate the character even more, which is probably what they want. So the fact that those things happen. But I honestly, when I saw the phone thing, I'm like, seriously, <laughs> he's talking into the like, did you not use a phone as a human being? I never even noticed until I read the fact. And I was like, oh, my oh, God. I, totally, and I went back and saw it. I was like, holy shit, yes. <laughs> I totally saw that last night when I was watching. I'm like, he's talking to the earpiece. <laughs> he's still talking into the earpiece. Well, let's start this thing off. JC, was this a movie that you were looking forward to watching again? Not really. Uh, <laughs> this has actually been a good week of uh, watching movies because my computer got a virus. Uh, it was my fault I got the virus. With all of my extra time to, to watch movies, I've watched everything other than Die <laughs> I know. You told me last night. I, I was like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I watched all sorts of things. I don't really have a good reason why. I was just meh about watching it. So uh, I literally waited until last minute. And when we got home from <laughs> Suicide Squad last night, I put it in. And I watched it last night. And it really is a testament to how we truly feel about this movie when you see the choices that you selected over this movie. Yes. Well, not all of them. No. no, yeah, but the but the movies like, that I watched, I'd rather the, watch this, this than Die, Die Hard Two. Die Hard Two, yes. <laughs> Me, I I loved this movie growing up. It was probably one of those movies that I watched so often that the VHS tape quality became completely ragged. It I wasn't it wasn't Basic Instinct skirt scene. No, that no. was worn through. No, I, I could not wait to revisit this movie. I was psyched. Oh, what? I was so psyched because I remember having fond memories about this. So movie. then you were so disappointed watching it as an adult. Well. Let's talk about the movie. So, synopsis of the movie. Okay. On Christmas Eve, a year after the Nakatomi Tower incident, John McClane is waiting at Washington Dulles International Airport for his wife, Holly, to arrive from Los Angeles. Reporter Dick Thornburg, who exposed Holly's identity to Hans Gruber in the Nakatomi Tower, is assigned a seat across, from the aisle, across the aisle from her. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. If they live in Los Angeles now. Yes. They're flying out to Washington, D.C. to see Holly's parents. Yes. What the hell is Thornburg doing on the plane? He's a local reporter in Los Angeles. I completely, I thought that too. <laughs> I completely agree. I'm like, they shoehorned him into this movie. Did not belong. Because with the woman reporter that we're introduced to later, you don't need a Dick Thornburg. No. You don't. And she was and more likable. And the only reason he is there is to be an asshole later. Yeah. What is his role? To be an asshole and to share news and to create panic, which is what he does later. We get a couple of other things. We get <laughs> him trying to get out of a parking ticket. Yep. And you got douchey police man's going to say no, 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 and mm -hmm. do it with an attitude. Yep. Uh, I don't know if this was just because at the time, NYPD Blue was big when this came out. It was. And I'm like, holy cameos from NYPD yeah. Blue. Yeah. yeah. And you realize there's a reason why these guys are TV actors and not movie actors. Ooh. Yeah. Right there in the side. Right I, on, right I jammed the, it in there. Right under the kidney. Uh, another question is, you got the one reporter, the female reporter that's running around the airport. Uh-huh. Who the hell runs around an airport for stories not knowing if there is one or not? There's so much about this movie that's just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It like, is. It's. It's. No, that wouldn't happen. No, that's. No, no. I, I literally spent full disclosure. I almost at one point was going to start drinking for everything that made no 
Making sense. You could have done the Die Hard 2 drinking game. And, <laughs> and then I realized, because my boy and I had swimming lessons this morning yeah. at the Y, and I'm like, I would sleep through, like, I'd miss the swimming lessons, because <laughs> that's how drunk I would get. And I was 10 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So John McClane arrives at the airport ahead of his wife, because they flew separately for some reason. Because that makes sense, too. Yeah. Uh, in the airport bar, McLean spots two men in army fatigues carrying a package, one of whom has a gun. He just sees a gun from across the way, like no one say. else would notice. I didn't even notice the gun. He follows them into the baggage area, and after a shootout, which, by the way, he's awfully ready to pull a gun out and start shooting away <laughs> in an airport. Well, he does wait until he's shot at first. Okay, he does, yeah. But, okay, the shootout's fine. But slamming the guy's head into the roller... And I'll be honest, that... that <laughs> suitcase that went in before his head looked pretty thick so <laughs> yeah. as I'm, it was one of those as I'm watching I'm like oh wait that's going to crush him wait <laughs> no that should not crush him he should actually fit right underneath that yeah after the <laughs> shootout he kills one of the men while the other escapes and learning that the dead man is a mercenary because he sends the facts with the fingerprints and I'm sorry faxes were not that fucking fast they weren't that fast and they certainly weren't that clear either no you were, there's no way you could send a fingerprint through a fax machine and then and get the ridges and everything off. No. yeah like I circled the swirl that's not going to help bullshit so learning the dead man's a mercenary thought killed in action while originally serving with the U.S. military, McLean relates the situation to airport police com- captain Carmine Lorenzo, played by Sipowitz himself. Uh, but Lorenzo has McLean ejected from his office because it's Christmas and he doesn't want to shut down the airport, which and, he wouldn't need to do. And insert stupid chief from Die Hard 1. So that must be the theme, is you have to have idiots that are in charge. And I'll be honest with you. Because that's believable. I thought that this chief made the other one look brilliant. I agree. I this one agree. was like a whole different level of shit. Like, he's just an asshole to be an asshole, but he's not even a smart asshole. Because you actually argued when we did the last one that the other guy had some points. Like, not everybody should believe this guy. And No, this guy just comes off as a moron. He serves no other purpose than to be a dick. Yeah. Former U.S. Army. And to wrap up the, oh, whole, yeah. the whole joke of the parking ticket at the end. Because that's necessary for the movie. Because <laughs> after all that, that's what matters. There are so many characters <laughs> in this movie that don't belong. Like, if you literally took their entire part out of the movie, it wouldn't change it. Yeah. Wouldn't, and unfortunately, folks, John McClane's one of them. Oh, If yeah. you actually took John McClane out of this movie, nothing would change. Yeah. Former U.S. Army Special Forces Colonel Stewart, who likes to do Tai Chi in his room naked, and other members of his unit set up a base in a church near Dulles. They take over the air traffic control systems, cut off communication to the planes, and seize control of the airport, which, by the way, seemed awfully easy. Yes. Uh, their goal is to Great rescue... We are looking at this as a post-9-11, and this was made in, what, 89, 80... Well, it's, it's, a, it's a church just hanging out by the airport. Like, if it's that close, if it's that closely tied to the airport, there would be security there in any era. Yep, that's true. <laughs> Their goal is to rescue General Ramon Esperanza for no real reason. They never tell you why. Nope. A drug lord and a dictator of Valverde who is being extradited, extradited to the United States to stand trial on drug trafficking charges. They demand a Boeing 747 cargo plane so they can escape to another country and warn the airport controllers not to try to restore control. Now, we do learn throughout little snippets because John McClane recognizes them from TV that mm-hmm. Colonel Stewart has been... Fired by Congress, and I'm like, great. Yeah. That one little snippet now tells me he bad guy. Did you notice that there was always, whenever they needed to explain something, there was always a news report to do it? 
a news report or just a <laughs> random person suddenly remembered something that I had seen before. It's the most timely news cycle I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just a shitty plot. Whoever the screenwriter was for this movie should be smacked upside the head yeah, with a very We know idea. McTiernan wasn't involved. Uh, McLean realizes his wife is on one of the planes circling above Washington, D.C. because they can't land. No. Uh, with too little fuel to be re- redirected. He prepares to fight the terrorists, allying himself with a custodian, custodi- a janitor, Marvin, to gain larger access to the airport. I didn't know that they only had one janitor per airport. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> and I also didn't know that the security sucks so bad that you could go under a tunnel and go anywhere in the airport that you wanted to without anybody ever knowing. And get blueprints of the whole airport just hanging out there. Exactly. Just sitting there, but don't mess up with his file system. No, no, don't, no. Don't, now, is it under P or is it under M? M for miscellaneous. <laughs> Dulles Communications Director Leslie Barnes heads to the unfinished Annex Skywalk with a SWAT team to reestablish communications with the planes. Stewart's henchmen ambush the group at a checkpoint, killing the SWAT team. Now, I want to get into Leslie Barnes here because this guy... He's Captain Exposition in this movie. This is what we need to do. <laughs> if we do step one, then we can do step two. And that's exactly Uh-oh. how he read the line, too, actually. Uh-oh. <laughs> they ruined step one. What shall we do? What shall we do? I don't know what to do. Oh, I have an idea. <laughs> this is what we should do next. We're going to do this next. This is step one. This is step two. This oh, is- no. They got rid of step two. Step two is gone. Now we have to start over. Whatever will we do? Whatever will we do? Oh, but that's literally his entire dialogue is those three steps. Yes. And the third thing he comes up with, suddenly they fix it in two seconds. Yeah. A plan this complicated should take weeks to plan. You don't plan on a snowstorm. But boy, did that play heavily into their plan. Yeah. With Marvin's help, McLean reaches the massacre scene rescuing Barnes and killing Stewart's men, because that's what McLean does. He kills people. Uh, Stewart responds by recalibrating the instrument landing system, which is a pretty cool scene, actually, but it is so a, wrong. It is a cool, <laughs> cool scene, but then you see kids on the plane. You see old like, oh, well, heart, okay. heart-wrenching. And he, impersonating an air traffic controller to crash a British jet, killing all 230 passengers and crew on board, which I love how when they show the plane coming down, it's like cloud cover and then land. It doesn't come that fast. No, it doesn't. <laughs> a U.S. Army Special Forces team is called in, led by Major Grant, played by John Amos. If you don't know who that is, watch Coming to America. He's the, the dad that wants his daughters to marry rich. Yep. A two-way radio dropped by one of Stewart's henchmen tips McLean that Esperanza, who's killed his captors and is now flying, is landing. Now, we all think dun, at this dun, point dun, Major dun. Grant is a good guy. We do. And at the time, I was like, yeah, he, he, you know what? He plays a good guy. He does. Like, I'm like, okay, well, you're here. We don't need John McClane now. Exactly. I think maybe the scriptwriters thought, oh, shit, we better have a twist in here later. Yeah. To need John McClane. <laughs> <laughs> because once you bring in that group, it's over. Done. But. Blue versus red. <laughs> Take the blue pill or the red pill. Exactly. Yes. With Marvin's aid, McLean reaches the aircraft before Stewart's henchmen, but Stewart traps him and throws grenades into the cockpit. McLean escapes via the ejection seat as the aircraft explodes. Here's another instance where I just want to call bullshit. 
Grena- grenades have a three-second timer. I, I actually, <laughs> after they threw two in, I started a clock. 52 seconds. That's quite the grenade. 52 (laughs) seconds passed before the grenades magically suddenly exploded. (laughs) It's so bad. Because they had to take so much time to throw all nine of them in, and he's just sitting there staring at them, and I'm like, which, if if they wanted any sense of reality, as soon as he saw them land, pick them up, throw them back out the fucking window. Just, that's that's more believable because it would have exploded mid-air. Yeah, and you would have hurt the people outside, and the movie would have been a whole lot shorter. And don't you think that many grenades is a little overkill just to kill one guy? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but literally the fact that the first couple grenades had fifty-seven second timers, mm-hmm. but that last grenade that went in it blew up in two seconds, <laughs> and all of a sudden he barely made it out with the ejection. I'm sorry, that was such bullshit. <laughs> it's crap. Uh, and the whole scene of him ah, as he falls back, I'm like. He would like the parachute wouldn't open that fast. But the funny thing he'd is, have died when he hit back down. That's the iconic scene from this movie. Like in the last no, movie, it, is. it was McLean jumping off the uh, building with the explosion with, behind him. With this the, movie, it's the, the ejector seat shot, and that's a horrible shot. It it doesn't look good anymore. No, it may have looked good back then, but it does not hold up now. Not now. Uh, Barnes helps McLean locate the mercenaries' hideout, and they tell Grant. By the way, Barnes just comes up with this idea that, oh, hey, there's this other place that we can go. This is where I was going with my joke before about <laughs> first idea. No, that didn't work. Like, all of a sudden, he magically realizes, oh, this is how we solved the whole problem. We started having two hours ago. We should just call him Deus Barnes. Barnes helps McLean locate the mercenaries' hideout, and they tell Grant and his team to raid the location. But the mercenaries escape on snowmobiles. McLean pursues them, but the gun he picked up does not kill anyone when fired. He discovers that the gun is loaded with blanks and concludes that the mercenaries and special forces have been working together all along. Dun, 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 dun. Now, this was a cool twist. The first time you saw it. I think it's still a cool twist. Because you do wonder, when you purposely see them take out the red cartridges and put in the blue cartridges, you wonder, okay, there's a reason they did that. What is it? Right. But I think if you watch this movie, it may be one of those moments where you sit there going, I like this part of the film because it does lend itself to a purpose. Yeah. And it's creative storytelling. Yeah. Uh, that, That being said... The snowmobiles, when he, it's like a jousting session. He's got his gun and the, and the colonel's got the other guy's gun. And they're coming at each other. The colonel is shooting live bullets. He gets within feet of him and misses. Yeah, these guys are all horrible. That's also in my worst, like, <laughs> the whole fight between McLean with one pistol and the other four guys when they're going after the radar and they all have Uzis and yeah, no. Not believable. Oh, which all. pistol was it, by the way? Well, it started out as a Glock, <laughs> then it became a Beretta, then it became a Colt, then it went back to a Beretta. McLean contacts Lorenzo, <laughs> dipshit police guy, to intercept the Boeing 747 in which the mercenaries will escape, proving his story by firing a gun at Lorenzo. But it's filled with blanks. That was a great scene. It was I, great, I, but because you wanted to, like, Oh, I, I actually, that's one of the things I liked was that scene. This is what I like. I liked the scene at the time, but then when they pull back and you see all the other officers stand there with guns pointing at McLean, at what point were they going to shoot the motherfucker for shooting their boss? So, in the same voice where I say that's a cool scene, totally unbelievable. <laughs> the minute he would have pulled the gun up, any officer worth his salt would have put one in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. Again, McLean is, he's famous. No one's going to touch him here. Yeah, because he's world famous oh, for yeah. something he did in L.A. 
Yeah. And I don't think that that's – I don't think thinking that way about that whole scene is a post-9-11 thing. That's No, you're putting a lot of onus on people paying attention to the news. Yeah. A suspicious Thornburg in the plane is monitoring airport radio traffic. So this must be before they said turn off your electronic devices on the planes. And learns about the situation from a secret transmission to the circling planes from Barnes. He phones in a sensational and exaggerated take on what is happening, leading to panic and preventing the officers from reaching the escape plane. Holly subdues Thornburg with a taser. Now, I think we should go into the airline scene itself. That whole group. Because we start with Holly sitting in her seat next to some old granny. Yeah. And (laughs) she pulls out a taser in her purse. And she practiced it on her dog. Because that's what I do when I buy a taser. Yeah. Come here, Flynn. Poor guy limped for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Then they show Thornburg come in from first class. He's been kicked out of there because he's such an asshole. No, Uh, they overbooked the plane. Right. But he still wants his first class meal. Yes. Yes. He sits down. Then he talks about how he's got a restraining order against Holly, which I thought was brilliant. Good. He punched her in the nose. He's got a restraining order. And he should have acted that way. She punched him in the nose. That's what I just said, didn't I? No, you said she punched him in the nose. Okay, yeah. You said he punched her in the nose. He He starts giving the stewardess's guff. He's rude, but I kind of liked how the stewardesses kind of put him in his place. Yeah, yeah. Then they start catering to her, giving her champagne and all this stuff. And after a while, it's like the restraining order didn't matter. No, because he just sat there. Of all the seats in that plane to look out a window of, he kept picking hers to look through. Yeah. If this was a big issue for him, why do you go to the other side and look out those windows? He is such a bad character. Yeah. In development, in motive, and like, if you would have been a student actor asked to play this character... (laughs) Your constant thing would be like, why the hell am I doing this? Yeah. What the hell is my motivation? I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just supposed to move the plot forward, and it's not real at all. All of his actions are forced. They are. And unrealistic. It, it, yeah, it's ridiculous. And you can't, I mean, a news, a news site saying, okay, play me a recording that you heard. We'll turn this on to the breaking news right now. No. From a guy who has failed at this several times. They're going to believe him now. Uh, McLean hitches a ride on a news helicopter that drops him off on the wing of the mercenary plane because he's not going to get in front of the plane to stop it from flying. He's just going to land on the wing. He blocks the uh, the things on the wings, the ailerons. Or ailerons. Thank you. I can't ailerons. pronounce that word for some reason. Yep. Preventing the plane from taking off. So they see, hey, we can't take off. Grant emerges from the plane, yep. opens the door, ran right the plane uh, wing there, emerges and fights McLean. Now you think to yourself, McLean's going to get kicked. This is a true soldier. Yeah, this is a special forces guy. Ends up just being jet meat. I was going to say, I actually, as soon as I saw him on the wing and I saw people come out, I'm like, okay, which one, Because I and I didn't remember it, I just thought to myself, which one goes through the turbine engine? <laughs> you went right there, didn't you? One, one of the two. <laughs> and then once he went through the turbine engine, I'm like, the engine would have exploded. <laughs> it wouldn't it just it wouldn't wouldn't have splattered have, on the side of the plane. It wouldn't have minced them up. The blades weren't going fast enough. By the way, that splatter disappears in the very next frame. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm like, just throw them through the engine. That will end the plane. And then I'm like, seriously? No. Yeah. So not believable. Uh, Stuart, Colonel Stuart comes out to fight McLean. And he does the fancy Rav McGraw. Oh, yeah. yeah. We finally have a callback to why he was naked at the beginning. Because we needed that. Exactly. Uh, and now, my, meantime, while he's coming out, McLean has found the fuel switch to unload the fuel, the fuel dump. McLean gets the shit kicked out of him, basically, and gets kicked off the plane. And while he's getting kicked off, he pulls the, the fuel dump. So there the fuel's falling out. Okay. Nobody in the plane seems to notice that the fuel gauge is going down. Nope. 
But they're going to take off anyway. But they noticed the ailerons weren't working. Yes. They, so they kick him off the plane. McLean, then lying there in the snow, takes out his lighter. Has a calm little moment to himself. Says. And chuckles. <laughs> yippee ki motherfucker. Because you need that in this movie. Yep. Throws a lighter down. It lights the jet fuel. Not possible. Yeah, lighters can't light jet fuel. On fire. It shoots down the r- runway. As the plane is lifting off, the light flips into the air, blows up the plane. Boom. Uh, which destroys the jet, killing es- Esperanza and everybody on the board. But then, because you didn't have enough cheese, we needed to add some provolone to the mozzarella. <laughs> All the passengers' planes in the sky can now land yes. because of the giant fireball. And they're all like, look at this trail. We can just fly and we'll all just follow everybody. Yes, because you're going to put 30 planes on the same runway. They need the same fucking distance to land. Didn't you? If fi- you put all 30 planes, the last guy is going to have like two feet. And then what are you going to have? A bunch of exploded planes. Didn't you find it So funny not believable. How long that scene was on that plane and how short that runway should have been. Yes. Uh, so the passenger planes in the sky then use the light to trail the land and McLean and his wife are reunited. Aww. <sighs> so that's the end of the movie right there. Jay-Z, what do you think after watching this movie? <laughs> I should have gone to bed two hours ago. <laughs> No. That's that's literally what I thought. I'm like, I when I finished the movie last night, I thought to myself, I love Joe. <laughs> I did this for the podcast and for Joe, but I just wasted two hours of my time where I could have been sleeping. Mm-hmm. For me, I, ha- I, I thought to myself, nostalgia strikes again. This is a mess. Oh, my God, is it a mess? And this is a case where I, I, I'm a firm believer that you don't hold movies in high regard for nostalgia's sake because they don't belong there then. They have to be something that continue to be timeless. This or, movie is not timeless. Or if they have a nostalgia factor for you, that feeling that you got when you watched the movie way back long ago, if that feeling is still there, regardless of if the movie holds up, mm-hmm. but if you can still have that emotional attachment, then it is still a good movie for you. Right, but if I'm going to grade a movie, I can't factor nostalgia into it. I can't. It's got to be, this is the film okay. all the way I through. See, yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, let's get into the probably the smallest portion of this, the best parts of the movie. Just the facts, man. Just oh, shit, facts. you like that. Oh, dude, I love that line. That's I thought so it was bad. great. I, uh, <laughs> I, I laughed out loud when I saw it, and the next morning when I saw the wife, I said it to her, and she's like, Facts about what? <laughs> facts machine. Don't you know? <laughs> no, I didn't explain it to her. I just said the, just the facts. Just the facts, man. She didn't. Anyway, I love the fact that the same shit happened to the same guy twice. That quote. I thought that. So some of his quotes I really liked. He, he said. They kept himself, referencing it too yeah, throughout. He, he said to himself, how does the same shit happen to the same guy twice? That line just made me laugh. Yeah. So there is good dialogue, and like his his talking to himself to me was good. Okay, um, I can't tell if I love Marv or hate him. The, the cause, janitor, yeah, because he's obviously there again. And I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. Things are put into this movie just to move the movie along. Yeah, which is proof that you have a shitty script if you just pigeonhole things into things to move it forward. When you're in airport in Washington D.C., you don't hold all your secrets with the janitor. No. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was cool. Every one of the bad guys, mm-hmm. every single one, even the low, like John Leguizamo and, and some Yeah, he guys, showed up. Everybody that played a bad guy, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm accurate, will eventually play a major or lead bad guy in a later movie. 
Yeah, they do, don't All they? of them play like big badasses in later movies. Yeah. And I'm like, was this the beginning of like... The most typecast group ever? Badmans <laughs> are us or something? Or Badmen are us? But I just, I, I did think that was cool. I'm like, holy cow, these guys are all going to be bad guys later. Yeah. Of course, then again, you got William Sadler, who played the colonel and is the president in Iron Man 3. Uh, for me... What I, are your best parts? Okay. This movie doesn't try to forget the first iteration of it. No, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, you, you got it act, it's actually hoping that you remember the first one, so you forget how this bad this one is. Yeah, it, it, as opposed to other franchises, the hero of the story doesn't just go back to square one again. He's moved on. He's moved to L.A. with his wife. Finally, mm -hmm. they live together. They seem to have repaired whatever problems they had with each other. It, I get the feeling that him and Al Powell now work in the same precinct, which I like. Yeah. That makes me happy. That, that was a nice little tip of the hat back. Yeah. I liked the blue and red ammo cartridges. I thought that was a cool little twist to have. That, I agree there. That was, that was a good scene. And as much as we have poo-pooed the fact that it couldn't happen, there's something about the fire chasing the plane up into the air that I thought was a cool shot. It is a great-looking movie shot, and it's now part of cinema history. Yeah. It's probably been myth-busted and all that stuff. Oh, but it's definitely. just, yeah. Yeah. Now... The worst parts of the movie. I'll actually try to keep this pretty short, but the plan to me seemed even more unrealistic. Like Oof. the whole scheme, yeah. just unrealistic. Reporter, even worse. <laughs> the law enforcement, even worse. The fights, even worse. worse. Like, so you kind of see my theme. And my biggest theme with the fights was they were just so cheesy. And this movie had so many fights in it, yeah, it that when you constantly see bad fight after unrealistic fight, then a bad fight, then unrealistic, like mm -hmm. it's what's the point in watching it anymore? Like, yeah. whereas I said Die Hard is an action movie everyone must see. Right. This is one. Please, dear God, avoid it. Yeah. Like, don't watch this so that you still think positively of Die Hard. If you can avoid this movie and just read the summary of it, then you have enough to go into Die Hard with a Vengeance. I agree. Yes. Uh, for me, we're, oh, oh, you got more? Yeah, the last thing, that parking ticket. Oh, the damn that parking whole, ticket. That whole <laughs> stupid parking ticket story. Yeah. When, when that was literally the last thing of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because they're kissing, he comes over, says the joke about the parking ticket, and then they go back to kissing. I'm like... That, that's what you left me with? Yeah. You just kicked me in the nuts. Many of my things that I've got are nitpicky, but I think at some point you have a nitpicky quotient or quota that you can't before it becomes a real problem. And I, there are so many nitpicky things that it just shows you the problems with everything, that they didn't take any thought into this. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Barnes may be the worst line reader I've ever seen. The two officers... Who were, who were just dicks for no other reason than to be dicks. Yep. Apparently, John McClane can do whatever he wants now. And nobody's going to challenge him or question his authority at all. His would have been in prison in the first five minutes of this movie. Yeah, he'd have been arrested <laughs> and thrown in a cell. Uh, we're to assume that Holly and John are together now. He moved to L.A. Why is she flying home without him? Yep. Uh, and forced dialogue. There, there was so much. I think in the first one when they were like, oh, we'll let you ad-lib a couple lines here and there. This time they were like, we'll use as much Bruce Willis ad-libbing as possible. And it just came off as at the wrong time to use it. Either that or they may have been brilliant lines, but the way it was cut together or whoever the editor was yeah. really f***ed with the pacing of the movie. Okay. Oh, who's the audience for this movie? Die-hard fans. Like, die-hard. 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 Die-hard fans. <laughs> Or those who want 80s nostalgia. But in all honesty, if you're just watching the diehards to, to 
sort of check them off, you don't need to watch this movie. Yeah. Literally, I agree with Joe. Read a summary of it and go on to Die Hard with a Vengeance. This movie this is so bad. Maybe in my picture, the fourth of the five in ranking order. It's number four because the fifth one is just abysmal. Okay. It makes this one look like uh, Gone with the Wind. It does. Oh yeah. Okay. I I have not seen the fifth one at all. I've seen the other. Yeah, for me, I have, this is a bridge between the original and Die Hard with a Vengeance, but yeah. it's a bridge over a very, very small river that you could literally you jump could across. jump over, yeah. Movie report card, we talked about this, we had different grades, and now I think we're lowering them even more. Yeah, we did lower <laughs> them even more. What are you giving it? D plus. Okay. I'm... D plus, and it was really, really close to a D. Yeah. Um, I originally had it at a C minus, but I started doing my, I sort of do my mental tick mm-hmm. for like, okay, big problem, that drops it from an A to an A to minus. Another big problem. And, and as I count them up, it's D plus. And I it's think. It's just D plus. I had it as a C minus originally. Actually, I had a B minus you originally. You had a B minus originally. Yeah. And then I watched it, you know, again and again and again. I was like, you know what? It's just not above average. It's not a C. It's not, a, it's not average. Maybe it's a little bit below. No, there's just too many nitpicky things. Okay, it's a D plus. It's not unwatchable, but it's bad enough to sit there and say, okay. But if you can skip it, like we're telling people that yeah. they could skip it. That skip makes it. it unwatchable. Well, it's not unwatchable in that when you're, when you're watching, you sit there going, I need to walk out of the theater. It's not unwatchable in that way. I don't know. Part of me thinks that had I seen Okay, but you also thing. waited to the last minute, so you're forced to watch this one. Yeah. Yeah. So that that plays heavily into it. Yeah. It does. I've been forced to watch things, and I've sat there and shit on it because I just didn't want to watch it. That's true. In fact, I'm willing to bet that when I watched, uh, what was the movie that you liked Man, as a kid? Man from Snowy River. That I was at a point where you were I was forced into shit, it. I had to watch this it. thing. Yeah. So there you go. D pluses all around. Maybe in teetering on Ds. Close yeah. to Ds, but not Ds yet. But D pluses. That's all I got time for today, Movie Planeteers. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and help the show get on its feet with a four or five star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at MoviePlanetPod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. Special thanks to Twisterium and SoundJ Music for providing our intro music and our ending music. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching. <laughs>